0: When the clock has started. Here we go. Greetings and welcome to episode 113 of 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Yes, welcome to uh, all of the world listening and all the ships at sea. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. My name is Doug Prazak. At least that's what's sewn into the label of my jacket. Um, Let's see here. Uh, You know, I like to kind of go over some of the towns or cities that have downloaded uh, this show. And I asked Graham to go over the list so we could report some of those places you're all listening to from. But he uh, sent me a message saying his internet was down in London. And so he's texting from a Starbucks someplace there. He told me what street it's on, but like like I really know where that is. So in his place, um, I asked Amy... Who is also in London and uh, she's once again stepping in so uh, Amy where have we had people listening from well let's see looking over the list there's Boulder Colorado Hamden Connecticut Tokyo Taylor Michigan Norman Oklahoma Jakarta Centerville Virginia and Brussels just to name a few sadly there's still nothing from Iceland but wait a minute hold the phone everybody I heard from Director of States and Territory Acquisitions for our show, Catherine, and she said there may be a download from Iceland in the next few weeks. What? I know. Apparently, it's going to come with some strings, something about the Royal Proclamation. We can work that out, but uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned and see if we get, in fact, Iceland. Let's see. Uh, what else from last week? Oh, <laughs> I know. My lovely executive producer. Uh, She had a note for me after the show last time. (laughs) It went something like this, and I'm just paraphrasing. These weren't her exact words, but basically it went like this. You know that bit you did about what would you do? Yeah, we're done with that. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, everybody, she's doing her job keeping uh, you safe from me. (laughs) All right, on uh, to this week's nonsense. Uh, If you follow this podcast on that Instagram machine thing, you no doubt saw the message I posted. It basically said, I got nothing, (laughs) which I didn't. I was going nuts trying to figure out what to to do or anything was bothering me or something I've seen that made me question life or just a topic in general. I decided to uh, uh, take a break (laughs) and let my mind cool off. So my executive producer and I, we sat down on the couch to watch another episode of The Traders. And if you haven't seen that, you should. It's fantastic reality competition show, although I must admit the British version has a lot more crying than the U.S. or Australian versions. <laughs> but I have digressed. Sorry about that. So I sat there with uh, my bowl of popcorn and a glass of Jack Daniels cinnamon whiskey and Coke Zero. Yum. And uh, we watched the show. And as I was tossing in popcorn, I noticed that there was, quite frankly, a complete involuntary motion happening. The minute one piece of popcorn went in my mouth, my hand automatically went to the bowl for another piece. I I sat there and watched it happen over and over again. It was like an out-of-body experience watching this motion happen of little white things flying into my face. Has this happened to anybody else? You sit there and do that. What is with popcorn? You know, I normally don't do that with other snacks. Okay, maybe potato chips. But uh, clearly, it got me thinking, you know, about popcorn. Now, this may astonish you, (laughs) but you know what I did? That's right. Well, after I finished my cinnamon whiskey, that's right. I did some research so you didn't have to, and you could just enjoy your popcorn. And now, the history of popcorn. (laughs) All right, for openers, a popcorn dates back thousands of years. But first, we need to clear something up. There are biblical accounts of corn, and I'm using quotation air bunnies around the word corn, stored in pyramids of Egypt. But according to popcorn.org, so you know they must know, those accounts are misunderstood. The corn from the Bible was probably barley. The mistake comes from a liberal use of the word corn. Which is used to signify the most used grain for a specific place. In England, for example, corn was wheat, and in Scotland and Ireland, the word referred to oats. Since maize was the common American corn, it took that name and keeps it today. Now, according to Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History, corn began as a wild grass called Teocinte in southwestern Mexico. Corn was domesticated about 10,000 years ago, and in 2012, archaeologists discovered the first evidence of popcorn in Peru, which were 6,700-year-old corn cobs with puffed kernels. (laughs) Yum. Explorer Hernán Cortez got his first sight of popcorn in 1519 when he invaded Mexico and came in contact with the Aztecs. Popcorn was an important food for the Aztec Indians, who also used popcorn as decoration for ceremonial headdresses, necklaces and ornaments on statues of the gods, and probably a sacrifice or two. (laughs) I just added that, sorry. An early Spanish account of a ceremony honoring the Aztec gods who watched over fishermen reads, they scattered before him parched corn called momochitl, and a kind of corn that bursts when parched and discloses its contents and makes itself look like a very white flower. They said they were hailstones given to the god of water. In South America, Kernels of popcorn found in burial grounds in the coastal deserts of North Chile were so well-preserved, they would still pop even though they were 1,000 years old. Go ahead, I dare you. (laughs) Early popcorn probably resembled parched corn, which is made by cooking dried kernels in some sort of frying pan. Parched corn typically uses kernels with a lower water content, which curbs its ability to pop and it's considered actually the predecessor of corn nuts. Oh, I could go for some corn nuts right now, dang it. Early American settlers adopted corn, including popcorn, and learned how to grow and cultivate it, and that pretty much ensured it would stick around for the next several thousand centuries. (laughs) In the mid-1800s, the steel plow, which could cut through tough vegetation, transformed Midwestern agriculture. In Nebraska, Iowa, and Indiana, corn especially the poppable variety became such an important cash crop that it was dubbed Prairie Gold. Although popcorn is uh, typically thought of as a snack food today, popcorn is actually was once a popular breakfast food. Way ahead of its time and very likely a role model for the breakfast cereals to come, during the late 19th century and early 20th centuries, popcorn was eaten just as we eat cereal today. Long before the advent of the cornflake, Ella Kellogg, you recognize that name, right? she enjoyed popcorn ground with milk or cream. Although she discouraged in-between meal snacking, she urged others to eat popcorn at meals as popcorn was, quote, an excellent food. John Kellogg, you know, uh, Ella's man, (laughs) he praised popcorn as being, quote, easily digestible and to the highest degree wholesome, presenting the grain in its entirety and hence superior to many denatured breakfast foods which are found in the market today. So there. (laughs) Through the 19th century, popping of the kernels was achieved by hand on stovetops. tops. Kernels were sold on the east coast of the United States under the names such as pearls or nonpareils. The term popped corn first appeared in 1848 in Bartlett's Dictionary of Americanisms. During the early 19th century, Americans tried several methods of popping corn. Some threw kernels in hot ashes, stirred, and then sifted out the popcorn. Oh my God. (gasps) (laughs) Others tried cooking popcorn in kettles filled with fat, lard, or butter. (laughs) It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? A more popular method was cooking popcorn over an open fire in a wire box with a long wooden handle. The turn of the 19th century brought a flurry of popcorn innovation. In 1875, a Kentucky resident named Frederick J. Myers, he patented a corn popping device and added that uh, stay cool handle. (laughs) I guess he got tired of burning himself. But popcorn's real rise wouldn't come until sellers could easily carry their popping machines around with them. Now, that happened in Chicago when Charles Craters introduced the world's first mobile popcorn machine at the World Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Scientific America was there to report, and they said, quote, This machine was designed with the idea of moving it about to any location where the operator would be likely to do good business. It goes on to say, quote, The apparatus, which is light and strong and weighing about 400 to 500 pounds. (laughs) Light? What the hell do you lift? Can be drawn readily by a boy or by a small pony. (laughs) Child labor laws. Uh, let's, Let's try this again. The apparatus, which is light and strong and weighing about 400 to 500 pounds, can be drawn readily by a boy or a small pony to any picnic ground, fair, political rally, etc., and to many other places where a good business could be done for a day or two. (laughs) Oh man, you know what, let's just take a short break, okay? I'm going to toss a a bag in the microwave while you listen to this, and when we come back, more popcorn. gather round the jiffy pop gather round the jiffy pop the jiffy pop the jiffy pop gather Gather round the jiffy jiffy pop the family fun treat and here's great fun a jungle book magic picture kit free in specially marked packages of jiffy pop popcorn each kits a different scene from walt disney productions full-length feature jungle book four fun scenes and all here comes the jiffy pop fresh hot and delicious every time because you make it yourself gather round the jiffy pop the family Hey, I did not get my uh, Jungle Book Magic Picture Kit. <laughs> and uh, if you're wondering, yes, you can still get Jiffy Pop today. <laughs> All right, well, thanks to Charles and his 500-pound lightweight popcorn machine, popcorn was readily available to everybody. Subsequent popcorn patents showed some of the popcorn problems inventors sought to solve. In 1892, James T. Nevoods of Utah applied to patent a machine that coated freshly popped popcorn in a sugar syrup that would help preserve the snack. The coating separated the kernels so they could be boxed or packaged without getting soggy or dusty. Around then, German brothers Frederick and Louis Ruckheim, they began to experiment with new ways to flavor small batches of popcorn they made with a handheld popper. In 1896, they developed a combination that stuck It was a combination of crunchy popcorn and salty peanuts coated in molasses, or as we all know it, Cracker Jacks. Popcorn was very popular from the 1890s until the Great Depression. Street vendors used to follow crowds around, pushing steam or gas-powered poppers through fairs, parks, and expositions. During the Depression, popcorn was fairly inexpensive at 5 to 10 cents a bag and was one of the few luxuries that down-and-out families actually could afford. Unlike other confections, popcorn sales increased throughout the Depression. Between 1920 and 1930, an initial wave of 20,000 movie theaters opened across America with attendance reaching 25 million weekly moviegoers in 1925. Now, enterprising snack vendors, well, they took note. Those who would normally set up camp outside of uh, sporting events and festivals, they began to set up shop outside of movie theaters, and that kind of pissed off the uh, movie theater owners. You see, many movie theaters had carpeted their lobbies with valuable rugs to copy that of the grand theater lobbies. In an effort to avoid sticky, greasy spills, most theaters banned snacks and soda outright. But pressure mounted as the Great Depression set in. Desperate to uh, stay afloat, movie theaters finally caved in. In 1938, a Midwestern theater owner named Glenn W. Dixon Sr., he installed a popcorn machine in the lobbies of his theaters. Because of its low cost for both patron and owner, popcorn was more profitable than the theater tickets. Dixon actually lowered the price of his theater tickets as soon as he saw huge profits from the popcorn sales. Clearly, the adventure was a success since you can still buy popcorn in the theater lobby today. Um, probably some of it goes back to uh, 1938. <laughs> Just saying. During World War II, massive amounts of sugar was sent overseas for the U.S. troops, which meant there wasn't much sugar left in the United States to make candy. Thanks to that kind of unusual situation, Americans ate three times as much popcorn as usual. Popcorn went into a slump during the early 1950s when television became popular. Attendance at movie theaters dropped and with it, so did the popcorn consumption. The Popcorn Institute promoted a popcorn consumption at home campaign attempting to bring the sales back up to his previous levels. Frederick Menon was a chemist, an inventor, and industrialist. He's credited with developing the Jiffy Pop in 1958, and within one year, it reached the national U.S. market. And here's the controversy portion of the program. You see, Jiffy Pop was based on a similar product designed five years earlier by Benjamin Coleman and marketed by the Taylor Reed Corporation as Easy Pop. In the early 1960s, Taylor Reed sued Menon Food Products for patent infringement. The district court ruled for the plaintiff finding Jiffy Pop and Easy Pop equivalent products, but the case was overturned on appeal. Microwaves became a commonplace in American kitchens in the 1980s, and shortly thereafter, General Mills received the first patent for a microwave oven popcorn bag in 1981. It contained perishable butter, and it required refrigeration. Another version by Pillsbury came frozen. It was an undeniable hit in homes and offices, and within two years, microwave popcorn was available nationally and brought in $53 million in sales. By 1984, a shelf-stable version showed up in stores, and sales climbed even higher. Americans bought $250 million worth of popcorn in 1986, setting off an all-out battle between snack food companies that attempted to corner the market. Unfortunately for Nabisco and General Mills, one agricultural scientist had already become an unlikely popcorn king among men, Orville Redenbacher. In 1965, Redenbacher and his research partner, Charlie Bowman, they had successfully created a kernel that would expand twice as much as the yellow corn Americans were familiar with. They called their hybrid Snowflake, (laughs) I guess they could have called it Bill, but they chose Snowflake for its shape and ability to expand up to 40 times its original size. The Snowflake hybrid Redenbacher and Bowman developed accounted for 45% of the total microwave popcorn market at the time of Redenbacher's death in 1995. During the 2000s, people began an eye to microwave popcorn with suspicion. That's right, I know. A 2008 study found that diacetyl, a chemical used in artificial butter flavoring, was linked to Alzheimer's and lung damage in industrial settings, and microwavable bags were lined with perfluorooctanoic acid, (laughs) which was linked to a condition dubbed popcorn lung due to its respiratory diseases contracted by microwave popcorn factory workers. In 2013, AdAge reported that consumers were also growing tired of waiting for popcorn to pop. Oh my God. <laughs> it seems that a microwave now just takes too long. Microwave popcorn's growth was a barely a blip on the sales chart, compared to nearly 12% growth, or $672 million, among pre-popped popcorns like Smart Food and Skinny Pop. Microwaves just take too long, apparently. The trend suggested that consumers wanted popcorn that was ready to eat and not a snack they had to make. (laughs) Plus, as any office worker knows, microwave popcorn has a tendency to burn, filling the entire office with that lovely aroma. (laughs) However, it appears that the ready-to-eat popcorn seems to be here to stay. In 2018, one marketing agency reported that Americans were ready to be more adventurous with their popcorn. Instead of traditional butter or salt, consumers craved popcorn that was cheesy or chocolatey or my personal favorite that I haven't tried yet, Fruity Pebbles popcorn. <laughs> I just saw it in the store. Yeah, Fruity Pebbles popcorn. I need to pick some of that up. Before I close this out, you know, there's some things and some terminology you need to know because I like you to sound smart in front of your friends, Okay. Uh, Today, Americans consume some 14 billion quarts of popped popcorn each year. That averages out to be about 43 quarts of popcorn per person. And I think I'm uh, carrying my weight on that one. In the popcorn industry, a popped kernel of corn is known as a flake. There's two shapes of flakes that are commercially important. Butterfly or snowflakes are irregular in shape and have a number of protruding wings. Mushroom flakes are largely ball-shaped with few wings. Butterfly flakes are regarded as having better mouthfeel with greater tenderness and less noticeable hulls. Mushroom flakes are less fragile than butterfly flakes and are therefore often used for packaged popcorn or confectionery like caramel corn. The kernels from a single cob of popcorn may form both butterfly and mushroom flakes. Growing conditions and popping environment can also affect the butterfly to mushroom ratio. See how smart you're getting? <laughs> Keep that in mind if you're cultivating popcorn. <laughs> and, uh, and please, above all, do not embarrass yourself. When referring to multiple pieces of popcorn, collectively, it's acceptable to use the term popcorn. However, and this is critical, when referring to a single piece of popcorn, the accepted term is kernel. I shall have a kernel of popcorn. <laughs> well, you know, my popcorn bowl is uh, is empty, so that means uh, so is this episode. <laughs> but what have we learned? Well, we learned that uh, Ella Kellogg thought milk poured over smashed popcorn is a great breakfast food. I say probably if it's that uh, Fruity Pebble popcorn. <laughs> we learned that uh, Jiffy Pop wasn't the first exploding dome of aluminum with popcorn inside. And we learn that if you happen to find yourself doing the Indiana Jones archaeology thing in the coastal deserts of North Chile and find some 1,000-year-old popcorn kernels, go ahead, pop them up. Apparently, they're still good. (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode, episode 113. I will talk to you next time on episode 114 on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. (coughs) Bye-bye. Popcorn's done. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20-MYNGB, uh, 20-MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.